Hands up, you're out of luck And your back's up against the wall From Tunisia to Washington The people are calling no You're cussing guns, you're clubs and thugs Your lies on the TV None of that can save you now As your reign is swept away Get up, get up, your voices are needed Become, become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising Get up, get up, your voices are needed Become, become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising Greetings, everyone. This is a call to actions. Today is podcast number 32. I'm sorry for not uh, not posting within the next uh, for the past couple of weeks. Things have been a little strange. Um, um, psychological warfare is definitely in the air, and I think we're all feeling it one way or another. But I uh, hope you can forgive me. Anyways, without further ado. Today, we have a guest, and his name is Alex Hilton. He is a software developer, a systems architect, and a privacy enthusiast. He knows more on the subject of privacy, internet privacy, programming, things down that line, and how you can take your power back from the system in regards to our own privacy. Alex Hilton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. All right. Yeah. So let's just start it from the beginning. Um, what made you want to start developing um, privacy systems? Was there something wrong with the system or uh, what got you into it? Well, I originally started off in banking in the financial space. So uh, my first business that I started was a, a payment gateway aggregation uh, software. Basically, it was a piece of software that aggregated, um, you know, multiple different payment systems into a single entity. So it made it real easy to accept electronic payment systems. So what I was trying to do is show people how much money um you know, you could save in the banking industry by properly sending the data. Um, and that's what my system was designed to do was to basically like make sure that when you transacted um, on authorized.net that all the rules the bank, you know, required for you to get that credit card transaction, we made sure that you, at least you got 99% of them. I mean, it was a huge amount of savings that you would get. And then um, you know, so that was really the goal was to, you know, change um, the payment industry because people don't realize that digital payments and, and the, the reach that it has. Um, and that's what I was trying to do there. And then I did that for 10 years. And then um, banking industry is, you know, I mean, you're going up against banks and the Federal Reserve and it's a dirty industry. So I got kind of We'll just say tired of the industry. I, I literally just walked away. Um, but because of that industry, though, you start to see um, all the different pieces that really affect the the payment infrastructure. And payments is really the core, right? Like at the end of the day, whoever controls the the digital payment um, is going to win. Um, they will control everything. Everything that you do, they know everything about you. They know where you're at at all times. Um, you know. That's why I was on the payment side. But when you start looking at all the other pieces that they need in order to um, run, you know, like they want marketing, advertising data, you know, the payments wants to aggregate everything so they can say, okay, Bobby was at, you know, BP and he bought um, five line items at BP inside the store. Now Visa or MasterCard wants to know what those line items are. That right there, they know so much about you just you know, from knowing your detailed purchase history to your location data to the amount that you spend on average, right? They know your habits, they know your patterns, um, you know, it's deep data. Um, and so when I got out of the payment industry, I really started getting into, um, you know, I wanted to find software and, and find software that would be able to hit the masses that they would understand how to lose the grip of Google 
you know, how to get rid of Google and Microsoft. How do you stop like these companies from owning your data? Because, you know, winning the payment war is really hard, right? Like you've got, you know, uh, 11 banks that ultimately let you're going up against and on the payment gateway side, it, you know, at the end of the day in the domestic US, you're really going up against, call it like 70. So it is such a small, tight knit community, um, you know, that, and I did some great things, right? Like our software was the first software that enabled sporting stadiums to take credit cards uh, in the parking lot, right? So like I brought mobility into um, the sporting environment. That's actually when we first met, um, you know, when we first met is when we were, I was actually setting up that software for our first beta test. Um, and that was the problem though. Then I kind of realized when I got back into Chicago that, um, you know, this isn't what I was intending to do. I was intending to change the, the banking industry. And here I am just, you know, trying to, to make, you know, nickels and dimes, just like everybody else. Um, so I didn't really have any problem actually handing over my shares and, and literally just walking away. Um, and then I just kind of like ghosted it <laughs> and started, uh, and started uh, building and, and trying to find the right solution because I knew just payments wasn't enough. You know, you bring in a payment system, even though I could save somebody, you know, a small business, call it $20,000 a year. It, they had a hard time understanding it. And so I knew that there was like a barrier of entry that I had to break into the market, not for me, but like they needed something simpler that they would understand. And when I kind of took a step back, um, I said, what really is kind of like the heartbeat of what runs, you know, us as like digital beings. Um, and that to me is files, you know, our files and our email communication. And these two aspects are basically who we are online your emails, your digital identity, and your files are everything that you share, whether it's on Dropbox, Google Drive, um, things like that. Um, but like, that's kind of like, to me, like who you are as an individual is just kind of like the core. And then everything outside of that stems from those, you know, like you may use a project manager, um, you know, things like that. So my goal was to kind of find core softwares that were free and open source that Bobby or Alex Hilton can own um, and never need to rely on Google or Microsoft because them owning your data is the problems that we see in today's world. Um, and so what I was just been trying to do is just find that that software suite that freed myself from them. Um, and in turn, if it freed me, then I felt, you know, one of those pieces would touch you and then that would at least get you into understanding that you don't have to be dependent on Google. You know, there's, there is alternatives out there that are actually much nicer um, and you own it, you know, and it's like your code. So like nobody ever gets to, you know, tell you you can't have it. Um, yeah. Th thank you for, for that introduction. It's quite a nice one. Um, so you say that, that there are companies like Google, as you know, I, I definitely am aware of Google, but you know, when we get down to the nitty gritty and you know, who's, who's the commander or general in the trenches of Google, things can get a little, little strange and a little weird. You know, we're looking at what could be compared to skunk works, except in the um, electro-digital scheme of things. So, going down into the trenches, are there any, any examples that you can think of, of, of why an individual would want to start getting away from some of these large corporations? Well, I mean, right now you see what's going on with the censorship movement here in the U.S. You know, there's a, a censor culture that's happening and has been happening um, for a long time. So I think, um, you know, take a look at what happens with uh, your live streamers, right? You have people that have been, you know, willingly giving their content and, and loading their content. And I hope they've had a backup because I can't imagine you would just be like, oh, I loaded it to YouTube and then delete it. Um, you know, but now here you have all these people who were, you know, monetizing and they were making a living off of the advertisements and, and things like that from YouTube. And now all of a sudden they, they put out a message that's not acceptable to that business. Um, 
you know, that's a problem. And, you know, my belief is that it should be a decentralized world that, um, you know, Bobby should own his own videos. And when you share those videos out, those videos, you know, if you share them to my server, I have every right to say, hey, Bobby, I don't want your crap on my server. You know, let me cut you, you know, but that doesn't mean that your server should ever get cut off like that. So, um, you know, I view it as a kind of a different approach, you know, in somebody having the control over everybody is the problem because who's once you start canceling one side, you know, you never stop, right? Because if you're going to say, I'm going to cancel far right extremism, well, you're going to cut off, you know, one head of the snake. And as soon as you cut that off, you move it, you know, a little bit further left. And then that next group is the far right extreme, you know, and then where does it end? It ends when there's nobody left and there's no extreme. It's just serfdom, you know? Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that point up is because there's su such a divide in the United States right now, probably uh, a bigger divide than we've, we've seen in you. I don't know, since the American Revolution. Um, but um, yeah, the censoring of our freedom of speech or the taking away of our freedom of speech has been seen has been seen and witnessed on both sides. You know, before it was, uh, say, in recent history, it was the the far left. And now we're seeing it in the far right. And, you know, the importance of staying grounded and being able to see it from all sides, you know, without establishing a certain side, it is, I think, essential right now, although most people just don't take that stance. Um, and decentralizing our own political beliefs to see the full spectrum. Well, I mean, when you talk about free speech and you know, the digital age. I mean, I think you got to like take, you know, the digital world and take a step back and realize something, okay? That, you know, when you start hearing things that are going to come up about like the great, for, you know, the fourth revolution, whatever, they're going to start mocking this thing. We've already, you know, humanity's already gone through, you know, the greatest age that we're currently in right now, which is the age of technology, right? Like technology that we live in, you know, you and I remember a time of before technology, right? When there was no cell phones, when you would go to your friend's house that you would have to call when you got to your friend's house to let your parents know that you made it there safe. Um, you know, so that was a huge awakening for mankind. I mean, look at where we're able to go to now for the first time in human history, we're able to like reach everybody. Technically, like in Africa's infrastructure, by the way, like people think, of Africa's like Ethiopia and, you know, all those poor, you know, feed the Africa kids, their technology infrastructure there is so much better than America's because theirs was built, you know, in today's modern times to today's standards. Whereas here in America, we got cables laid everywhere. I mean, you know, we are a constant evolution. Whereas when people are building fresh, it's, you know, state of the art stuff. So. I mean, when you start looking at technology, you need to take a step back and, and realize that this is like a great revolution of like man's next being, you know, like we aren't going to just merge with technology. We need to just use it to harness knowledge. You know, we could literally connect to people. And so that means that since it is its own entity in its own age, it shouldn't have any restrictions to free speech. It needs to have like the bill of rights to it where it's unrestricted, you know, it's a, it's an unrestricted highway. And that what, you know, you can't have. So I, I just think it's difficult to talk about free speech on technology because it depends, right? Like I could set up my own network and we can be completely independent of everybody as long as you guys come to me. Right. Like you need to have access to my network and you can come and listen to my uncensored whatever I want to talk about. Um, you know, so you don't necessarily have to do that. But the thing is, people want to be into society and you want to be a part of the whole culture. And that, that's why, like Facebook and the Twitters exist. Absolutely. So, speech, what do you want to talk about? Free speech on the Web? I don't know. I mean, it's. You can't shut down free speech. I mean, it's ridiculous. You can't have that. It's like, 
it's egregious. And when you do that, then you only have one side going. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of the press is extremely important. And one thing with, with podcasts these days, it's so easy to, uh, to get a, a message across. We don't have to go through radio networks. You know, we don't have to rely on, on just the AM and FM waves. Although, you know, they do serve a purpose, but, um, well, actually those are, those are actual great, um, use cases of technology. I mean, people think those are like legacy. I mean, that's actually not true. Those are, those are technology airwaves that people are able to use. Like think of like ham radio. Um, you know, you know what I'm talking like a ham radio, right? Yeah. Where you get like a call sign. I mean, that's a piece of technology that. If you lived out in the middle of nowhere you and you had like a power source, you could have a ham radio and communicate to the outside world. You can even now, I think I saw somebody was able to send digital information, meaning an email over the ham radio airwaves. So, um, you know, I think what you're going to start to see is this internet crackdown comes is people are going to start to look at different um, mediums of protocols to communicate like email, for example. Um, Google has no control over the email highway. So like one of the biggest steps to taking back control over your life is to own your own email server. Um, you know, most people aren't going to be competent to, to run and, and put up an email server securely. But in today's day and age, I mean, there, it's a dime a dozen where you'll be able to find somebody who is competent enough, you know, for inexpensive people are looking for work, especially here in America. How, how do we set up our own personal email server and and what is a server as compared to a platform well think about it like this okay a server is uh it's nothing more than you know think of like a giant desktop computer and it's actually not even giant it's usually just as you know small as your computer if anything and it's basically like this heavy duty storage device that allows other things to connect into it. And so what you do is, is you take a, a software and an email server is basically, um, you know, Gmail or uh, people use Proton Mail, Yahoo. They run what's called an email server. And that is basically a, a software that connects into either IMAP or SMTP protocols. But it's basically something that's going to keep a record of all your communications it allows you to forward and do things like that and then what it does is it gives you access into like you know imap so like on your cell phone when you tie in an email into your email into your cell phone's email phone if it's not a gmail you can tie in your imap you know it'd be like imap dot whatever domain.com or smtp dot whatever domain.com and that is like its own highway, right? So like email highway and that protocol for you and me to email each other, we can send each other secure email all day long. And that, as long as you're not using Google server, if you had your own, call it email server, okay? And there's things that you can go out there. There's um, Roundcube, there's uh, um mail in a box there's uh next cloud has a really nice email kind of up and coming interface i mean there's a ton of uh alternative providers that are out there that you can also if you don't want to use their service you can take the source code meaning they make exactly the software that they run on and they make it publicly available and you can take that software and give it to either someone proficient enough to do it And they can get you a hosting account, right? Like where you put up your website and that's a server, right? They put that up onto a server, like a virtual server. um, And they load that software on that server. And what that means is you now are in control of your email server. So you create your accounts. It's, you can send and save as many emails without having to pay Google ever again. It's as as many, as much storage as your email has at the end of the day. You know, and the problem with Google is, is they own your data when you use their server. That's uh, that's pro- that it's 
what some people would think is that that's piracy, but it's not actual piracy because they, they make their their server available even for modification purposes. Correct, and you can turn it in. And let's say you decided you wanted to like so my software that I make publicly available, we make it publicly available. And if you're a business, you can use it for commercial purposes. So we. You know, like if you wanted to create your own Gmail and offer people a service, right? Because running your own email server is complex, okay? So I'm not telling people to go out and just be like, everybody should go out and like run their own email service, um, you know, to make sure that it's secure and make sure that it's today's standards and constantly keep it updated. It is a job um, and a half. But, you know, if you're proficient enough to do it, a hundred percent you should. And there's also options that are out there that are not like, if you don't need like an enterprise or a corporate type of email system, um, there are solutions that you could just find somebody on like an Upwork or uh, you know, any job board. And you can find a developer proficient enough to put something up for you. They'll probably charge you 30 to 50 bucks and they'll load it on the software. And, and then maybe every three months you may need to pay the developer and be like, hey, there's a bunch of updates, you know, can you do? Um, you know, but the nice thing about open source technology is like if I'm the guy that puts out the software and says, hey, this is publicly available, I maintain the software. So I put my software onto like a schedule of updates and, you know, call it like every, you know, month I'll put out like important updates, you know, critical fixes that we need to do. But there's always a schedule of updates. And then people that are in the community that have taken the software, they may make updates. They make modifications because in my source code, I say, hey, if you as a business or a person modify my code, it's free for you to use. You can do whatever you want to with it. But if you change the source code, you have to make those changes available to everybody else. That way you don't have the problem of a Google coming in again. And we all get the changes. And then it's not just on me to maintain the software in general. So that's what open source is. Open source is more about the community, um, you know, and that. So, but there's different open source licenses, you know. I mean, there's, you know, some people are sneaky and they'll offer an open source license and they'll make amendments to the code where they can like sue you if they don't like what you say. So you have to be careful and look at the license. You know, if you're going to go out and start looking at software, um, it's always good to make sure you read and understand the license that comes, which is the terms and conditions, right? So like, if you don't read the Google terms and conditions, you probably, you know, you should read these because you can get a lot of trouble, you know, like somebody doesn't like what you're using it for and you don't read it. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd say one of the goals is I think this could be a um, could be a a slogan for a, for a company coming about is say for example a call to actions because we believe in privacy, not <laughs> not piracy. That's, yeah, well, I mean, look, it's you know, there's that saying of you know, what do you have to hide? Even my mom says that to me. And it's, you know, I have nothing to hide. Ah, man, don't, I'm interjecting here for a second because I think everyone, um, at least everyone who's listening to this podcast has heard that before. Like, oh. Um, Here's what I say. So, can I give you okay, can I give you yeah, go. Brilliant, because it shuts them up and, they, and I think it gives you, you know, reason. I mean, think about this. Would you let a stranger rummage through your garage when you weren't home? Well, some could say, well, um, well, you're not hiding anything illegal, are you? What, what are you trying to hide? So why not just... Why no not one just... in their right mind is going to say, yes, I would let somebody I don't know rummage through my house or my garage. Come on. But, but he's an ethical burglar. Well, that's the... Yeah, right? But that's the thing, though, is, is people don't realize, though, on digital, that your digital footprint is just as much of an identity as who you are as a human being here, because your digital identity like they they log you and there's a profile on you i mean it is you right and there's no way of getting around it right like you can't hide yourself like if people think you can hide yourself on a vps and using a proxy let me tell you something you cannot hide yourself you can do really well and you can you can definitely um stop you know like google and like companies like that tracking you with some systems but um at the end of the day the government 
you know, has a backdoor into all the software. I mean, they're on, they have a backdoor into the ME on your computer. So everything that you do on your computer is being logged digitally. The, the whole purpose though, of taking control of yourself digitally and harnessing and owning your data is now you're not letting Google control your digital destiny and selling your information. You know, like once you take control of your files and your email communication away from these people, now they don't have that. Do you know how much money they make from that stuff? I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. So now once you take, that's the biggest hit to them. And if you don't, if you want to stop Google, stop using them. And the way to do that is then really the first place that you can stop using Google is getting uh, your own or using an actual open source email provider. So there is kind of nobody that does that, right? Like, that's why I'm doing it. I found it's a very small market. Like, you know, I figured if there was a, there was a reason that all these companies would start up and then they would just quietly go away, you know? So um, I'm trying to break into that, but, um, you know, there's other providers out there that will pop up and there's other people that do have the expertise. Like all the developers that I know, we all run our own email server. So it's a very common thing for people, you know, ask if you know a developer or someone who knows system administrations, ask them if they run their own email server and see if they can set it up for you. Yeah. And that is the first step to taking out Google and Microsoft. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about personal email servers until I, I met you. And I'm just writing this down with a personal email server well, because I example how, uh, you know, email can be an effective way of, of um, censorship, right? So in, in 2016, Google got caught um, sending, I think it was like 90% of conservative political uh, candidates, their emails, 90% of them were going to spam. And none of the Democratic parties were going to spam. Right. So that's a way. And like how many people actively go to their spam box to, um, you know, filter the stuff. So, you know, think about it. I mean, just that small little action of only giving a visual content of a Democratic viewpoint. And I am not Democratic or conservative. OK, Republican. So I'll just make that clear. I, I think they're both pieces of shit okay yeah, I, I, both... i'm exactly I'm, I'm with you too just to establish a common ground is uh yes i'm with you exactly you know because they're they're both guilty of um you know putting us into this technocratic state so um you know the only way people can get out of this technocratic state that's coming and you know this is what is coming is not just going to be like physical lockdowns it's going to be a digital lockdown and that's that's going to be the hard part, I think, for the world to get out of, is when they digitally lock us down, it's going to be almost impossible for people to freely share ideas, um, communicate, um, you know, they're going to be able to police your, your, your opinion. Um, and that's why people need to own their own content and work within like a decentralized community. So something to write down and, and for your listeners to, to check out. There's a, a open source community called the Fediverse, F-E-D-I-V-E-R-S-E. So this is a system and a, a, like this is what a, my software is also based on um, is in the Fediverse is it allows you to uh, own your server. So like my cloud, Bobby, that you're running on, if Bobby owns his cloud, our servers communicate with each other. You have um, a social platform in there called Friendica and Mastodon, which are part of the Fediverse. And these are open source alternatives to Twitter. So people want to get off of Twitter and they're running to like something like Gab or, or uh, Parler or whatever, whatever it is. The problem is these are honeypots, okay? They are centralized hubs that are gonna register your email address. They're gonna log your IP address. And they're gonna keep a log, what just like what Parler did, and they're gonna hand it to the government of things that you say and you know where you are, and that's gonna be your digital identity. Okay, that's yeah. why you need to be wary of companies that demand your login, like for a service that you need to pay for, yeah, right? Like that makes sense, but 
you know, for social media and for Parler to, to act and or gab and act like they're these uh, <coughs> free speech networks, sure. I'll tell you what, open source your code and make it freely available, decentralize it. That way, when the government shuts you down, you everybody still stays up and running. But they won't do that because they want to make just as much money from your data as Twitter. And that's why, you know, and I'm going to tell you something about Twitter and this whole Donald Trump crap, okay, at Twitter. So let's, let's talk about Twitter. In pre-2016, Twitter was going almost bankrupt, okay? Who saved Twitter? Donald Trump did, okay? When Donald Trump went to Twitter, look and look at, and, I, and I'm going to give you proof in the pudding as to how he saved them. Look at his followers. When he left Twitter, Twitter and Facebook, what was it collectively? $30 billion in like 10 days because they accounted for half of the activity on those pla- on Twitter's platform. That is insane. And I guarantee you most of Twitter's other platform, those are bots, because that liberal and that agenda that they push, that communist agenda that they try and shove down everybody's throats, let me tell you, that is not the mindset of America. That's just what they're force feeding you. And in 2016, Donald Trump saved them. So if you think Donald Trump is a savior and blah, 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 he is just as part of the swamp, if not more, because he's the you know WWF promoter. The dude was the Don King. He got everybody divided. That dude was slick. People need to like realize what's happening. People need to like realize right now is a time that they can take back their digital. You know, we still have the digital freedom right now. So if people just don't, you know, go run to the next Facebook, take it and run it and own it yourself. Do some fucking research. You know, learn what it is that you really need. You know, like my cell phone, for example, this is a, a I run Lineage OS. Okay. And this has no Google services running to it, but because I wanted to have, um, you know, some of our apps need to have, um, be on the Google play store. I put on what's micro G. Okay. And this allows me to access Google play anonymously and download Google play store apps from a different version of the app store. It's all open source. Meaning an open source just means I can validate that there's no software issues with the code. That's deep, man. Um, You know, this phone right here means, but I'm going to tell you, like getting rid of Google from your life means there's some easy things like Google Maps is a great mapping system. But I use OpenStreetMaps. Which Google is basically built on, okay? OpenStreetMaps was there before Google. And people don't know about it, right? And it's just, it's a community-driven software. And it just doesn't have as many points of interest in because you don't have as many users as Google Maps. But the whole thing about open source is you need to get people into those communities. And once those communities keep getting big enough, then there is no need for Google. Google can't do that to us anymore. They can't, Google's power only comes from the data that we give them. That's it. Like you using Google search or DuckDuckGo, you know, you should be using something like um, Cirques or uh, Infinity Search. Any company that open sources their code is a search engine. That's who you should be using. And those are the two that I know. Infinity Search. Yeah, infinitysearch.co. And that's an open source browser. Their search, so what they are is that's a really nice one. That's that's the one that I use for... For the most part, so um, InfinitySearch.co, and what that um, system lets you do is they have their own search index. It never gives you the results usually that you're looking for, um, and so then what they do is is they give you a list of all, and you can add whatever other search engine providers you want to you know add there, like Google, DuckDuckGo, and then they'll strip away a lot of the anonymous um, you know data that you send. And then if you open source the code and you have the development wherewithal, you can even remove any additional metadata from the code and put it up on a, a server, like AKA where your website is. And then you can go to search.yourwebsite.com and you can search the internet, but you don't have to give your data to anybody. And that's how those companies make money. That's the trick. 
One, one simple thing that, that I had learned many years ago was, was uh, platforms like Google and pretty much any mainstream tool that's used by, by the population these days, um, it provides you the information that you think you need because it's creating, it's creating its own content based on you using that service. It's uh, it's Correct. using its quote mind to uh, to give you its uh, its uh, personal decision on what it thinks you need to see Correct. based on what you've already searched for. Well, it's a set of rules, right? So it's like you know, Google puts into their search engine, you know. They'll put in some code that says, okay, when Bobby searches for um, something, you know, and they'll, they'll put in, you know, pieces and they want to say, okay, well, we want to also know who Bobby interacts with. And this is how dangerous data can be, right? Because now what they're able to do is, is they're able to create these buckets of information that they know Bobby will type in tomato. And they know that if Bobby types in tomato, that he interacts with five people that may want to see tomato. So they're not going to show tomato because right now Google doesn't like tomato. Okay. Tomato's not hot right now. It's all about avocado. Okay. Tomatoes need to go away. So to, you know what? Now when those people, Bobby types tomato, Bobby types tomato, but those people who would expect to see Bobby's tomato don't see it just doesn't show up and they, they aren't seeing it. And then you start having this feeling. And I noticed that on Facebook actually, and in the early days and social media is the ultimate, uh, um, you know, abuser of that. Um, you know, so like, and, and that's what I think is called shadow banning, right. On, on social media. And that's how it works is, is they know what you talk about and who you associate with. And they've got you put into these different rules and buckets that they've identified you as. And when you do a post of X, they say, okay, Bobby posted X. Now, web X isn't really cool with us, so we're only going to let these three people see X. And you may get three likes on your post. That's it. But nobody else actually sees the post. And this actually has a demoralizing factor. This is actually, the, I think, the biggest issue is the demoralization of it, right? You think no one actually believes in what you're talking about. Just these three nut jobs that always follow me, right? Or something like that. So, you know controlling the flow of, of information is super important. That's why you need to control your flow of information. You can't trust anybody else to do it for you unless you know them. Um, or if they make their code open source, then people like myself or other developers, we're going to be like, Hey, that's really good. That's really cool software. I like that. I'm going to open source it. Um, I'm going to run it on my own server. So we're going to basically tear your code apart to make sure that it's cool. Right. And if that, they make their stuff open source, then you can trust these people, um, you know, for the most part. Um, you, you never know what someone's actually doing with your data on the back end. But um, like ProtonMail, can't trust those guys. Just because they say that they don't do anything with your code, that's, uh, you know, come on, they're, they're, they're CERN scientists, right? Who funded these guys to build a uh, uh, email data warehouse inside of a mountain? Because that's their claim to fame. Okay. That's a good point. That's a really good point. How do um, you get that money? Someone give me that money to do it, and I will give me well, a quarter of that cost. Definitely the Department of Energy, um, mm. possibly the National Nuclear Security Administration, which is pretty much a hybrid between the Department of Energy and the National Security Agency. the money into there also, right? Come on, all your. Every time I see somebody who claims to be a privacy, um, you know, website, they'll have a ProtonMail email address or a Tutanota. And that is just, you may as well stick with Gmail. They're going to give you better service, okay? And they give you all the bells and whistles. So, uh, and I guarantee you, ProtonMail, just, and you're, you're gonna, they're going to give you that false sense of security. Those fuckers are logging you too. Guarantee it. Yeah. I'm taking a step back here. There's something that I, I wanted to talk about. We were talking about um, 
briefly we talked about uh, how so much data of ourselves and all this information that we have access to is is digitally cataloged <clears throat> either um, you know we have it placed in one digital folder or another and we rely on being able to get back to a computer in order to have access to that information. And I believe that a digital blackout would be the digital version or a, a more modern version of a mass book burning because all information would be swiped and most people um, you know, choose to keep all the information they have on digital platforms but what right. happens when all of this all of our documents um, our videos or our, our pictures are just just taken away from us because of some thing like a, like an EMP or some some hiccup within uh, our local system Say AT and you know, um, it's a it's a, a digital blackout, and I think the solution to that would be. I just don't think a digital blackout can happen. I think that's a I think that's fear mongering. I just can't. You can't just EMP America, okay? So that, I mean, you could right? Like I guess China or Russia, and we could EMP a country, but that would just be complete utter nonsense because. I mean, what, what would the goal be? It would be like a hundred years before it would be safe for anybody to even like step foot into this like, you know, biblical medieval times continent where there's so many guns and bullets that are like, this is an armed continent, right? That like, you couldn't just EMP America. What you have to do is lull it to sleep and convince them, convince the people to give you the arms then you can then you have total control but you can't just do a complete dark out you know like there's you know like if you run a server and a website on you know a hosting company call it godaddy you know what you need to have on your computer is a backup of your files and consistently back up your information often because let's say godaddy takes your website down or something, you know, God forbid, let's say they're one of their hundred data centers, all of their data centers get blown up, right? Whatever. Doubtful, right? That would be like absolutely impossible to happen. Very, so. very doubtful. Yeah. But I mean, even in like localized events, say, um, yeah. I, I just, I want to, I want to push people to, um, I do believe in, you know, a green movement. I definitely believe in that. Not definitely, not the green new deal. I don't believe in that. But I, I do believe in doing as, as much as you can to say. Um, I still use that book for my, you know, main tasks. You know, I, I, I'm a pen and paper guy at the end of the day. But print you know, your did, documents out. If they're important, you got to back your stuff up. Print them out if you have to. 100%. You know, print them out. But you should also keep, you know, I have, um, it's inexpensive to go to Best Buy or Amazon, whatever, and I'm not promoting those places, go find a local alternative that you can buy like a external hard drive for like 80 bucks, okay? And you can get like a two terabyte hard drive and get like two or three of them, you know, because you want to have backups and, you know, you may never fill up one of the hard drives, but you may want, like you may have important files. You may have digital birth certificates and things like that. And these are things you want to keep offline, off the internet network. And you can keep them at home in a locked drawer and access them only when you need to access them um, and have a multiple copies of it. And if you are concerned of an EMP taking place, you can take all your important files um, and put that, uh, what's, the, what's the cage I'm thinking of, the word I'm forgetting, the uh, EMP cage. Faraday cage. Or Faraday something. cage, right. Yeah, and you can actually get, um, make your own Faraday bag. You can make um, people sell Faraday um, device bags. So you can actually put uh, an external hard drive if you're concerned of that event happening. I'm just telling you, I do not think that would happen. I think when you think of a digital blackout, I think of a digital blackout means censorship blackout, meaning there's no, no other opinions going to get through except for what, what they're talking about. If there was to be an EMP, it would be such chaos 
I mean, it would be like, you know, it would be savage and it would be impossible for, you know, I mean, think of like if an EMP hit Chicago, how many millions of people live in Chicago? How many guns are on the south side of Chicago? Do you think the National Guard would have an easy time getting that back into like peace and civilized community? It would be years. So nobody in their right mind would EMP Chicago. Um, what would happen is, you know, like, I think what's going to happen is at the inauguration, they're going to, you know, they've already been setting up these, you know, Joe Biden's going to get assassinated. And then did you see today they had a, a homeless person set fire to something underneath a freeway, right? So now there was no cameras, thank God, that caught this. In all of lockdown DC, um, and then they... Uh, shut down his address. So they're they're basically setting the stage for a false flag. Um, and that's going to be the blackout. They're going to use this as a means to add more, you know, Patriot Act II laws, more censorship laws, and then they're going to figure out ways to come after the guns. Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably on a, a good breadcrumb trail there. Um yeah, technology is your salvation. And I'm just going to say this to everybody, okay? Because I don't like to go and talk about this stuff in public since I'm doing this. You know, I'm just going to speak my mind. Like, you can take your, you know, freedom back from your digital. But if you take ownership and you can figure out how to own your own files and your email and your communication, you are not a slave to these people. That is your first step into fighting this war. Do not continue to give these people control of your communication and in your files you know don't use LibreOffice. don't use microsoft you know if you want to use google chrome there is an ungoogled version of chrome meaning all of the tracking stuff it's developers like me go through and we rip that stuff out because we don't want it on our device okay you know, and if you have questions and you know somebody who's technical, ask them, you know, ask people, go to forums, check out online. I mean, people will tell you, you know, like if someone asks me, I will tell you whatever system you want to do. I'll even sit down and probably do it for you because I want people. We don't want people, you know, unless you're a shithead and you care more about, you know, gender politics or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, that that'll end real fast when the communism comes. I guarantee you those useful idiots will be the first to go they're 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 the least to use man a good balance here <laughs> um, <laughs> um i just i want i just want to say that again right. is is i believe it's really important if there are documents that that records files whatever whatever um that you believe are important that may somehow be scrubbed either from an uh a public database um, unclassified information, AKA, or, you know, your own files that, that you believe are important to you and your, your close ones, print them out, just print them and keep them. I mean, if they're that important, you know, say even when the electricity goes out, if it was even to happen locally, I mean, so at least you still have them and you have some really entertaining, some really entertaining material to read. Um, I don't believe in overdoing it. I don't think you need, you know, I don't think we need to catalog every single thing that we do and have because, because if we did, if we printed out every single thing, every file that we have, um, I think some of you guys <laughs> that are listening would probably have an entire bedroom full of, of documents. And, you know, we don't want that, do we? I mean, w when we move, just for example, um, you know when your paper does weigh uh, significantly more significantly more than flash drives or an external hard drive so like it, it does make sense to give away some of those records that that you had um, originally printed and, you know for example when we were when we were moving i i had to give away about about uh, about 60 to 70 percent of all the printed material that I had printed out over the years and it was uh, it was such a shock to me that I had to do that but I had to because it was you know it was hundreds of pounds of, of paper that we just couldn't ship out. Well, that's ridiculous Bobby. 
<laughs> you had hundreds of pounds of paper? Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I mean, you know, cyborg... I remember you used to print things all the time. I do remember that. Well, cyborg I, I, research, I, artificial I intelligence. I used to be your neighbor at one point. I'm glad you brought that up. So our listeners are now know that Alex and I used to be neighbors. Yes. Yeah. Gave away about... I, we um, had to take a, a dolly. We had to go buy a dolly. Um, well, actually, we had one at the time. Sorry. Um, we had a dolly at the time. And it was just, you know, we were prioritizing and because we only have a certain amount of weight that we can put on this this moving vessel or else we're going to be charged an extra you know crappy amount of money so we're like all right we got to keep it down and i wheeled out it was probably about 300 pounds of of paper (laughs) (laughs) it sucked like it it sucked so bad it actually i actually uh cried afterwards just to be a man i love books you know i mean i collect i collect books and I like old books. So I, I, I feel you. And I do, I do agree with what you're saying. If you have important things that you, you know, need and that are, are absolutely necessary that you may want to keep and pass down that are printable, print those things up and keep those. Um, you know, but I think what you're talking about and I think what a lot of people, you know, feel though and, and where they get caught in the trap in technology at least is like think of like iCloud, for example. Okay, iCloud on your iPhone, you store your pictures, you store your files, and it's great, right? Because you go from your iPhone to your Mac and your files are there. But your files are uploaded into Apple's server and that's how your files get to the devices. So, you know, people don't realize that there's an open source and there's actually a couple open source alternatives that are out there. Um, One, for example, is NextCloud. Right. That's a software that we um, took as our own. It was actually built on a software called OwnCloud, and they were a fork of OwnCloud. And then my company took their software and, you know, we were like, hey, this is really nice. But, you know, they added like their brand everywhere and we don't really want that when we send emails. Um, So we customized it and modified it for what we needed. Um, And that is your own um, commercial grade iPhone, um, iCloud replacement in it like when you take a picture on your iphone or your android and there's mobile apps in the store that you can download um you know and that costs god you know you could probably run you could go to a company called DigitalOcean, or who you know um tmd hosting that's another good um hosting system but i think they just sold to google so you may want to check them out um may want to check them out before you go to them if you want Google to be your hosting provider. Um, But DigitalOcean is who we um, do most of our hosting through. Um, And it costs on average, like the low end, you could run NextCloud on your own server for $25 a month. And you can do a bunch of files and that is iCloud, right? And that is an open source alternative to iCloud that works on Apple, windows and mac and that is supported by millions of developers so millions of people around the world support this software so when you put it and you run it on your server you have the confidence to know that like if you go to alex hilton and you go to my company and i give you and i set it up for you or you go to somebody else and they set it up for you even if they you know had like a heart attack from the emp blast that happened right Somebody else is so proficient to come in and take over and step over and help you out for like, and it's not expensive, but you have to be willing to pay the $20 a month for this, the, the server or the droplet at DigitalOcean or whatever. And, you know, find someone like myself, you know, who's proficient to, to set it up for you. Because if you don't set it up properly, having your own software is dangerous. It is a security flaw. So you need to make sure it's it's set up um, properly and, and securely. That way, um, when you use like an encrypted file system, then it's encrypted and it, it serves the purpose. And you don't want flaws and holes in it that somebody could take your stuff because that defeats the purpose. Awesome conversation. And just to wrap this up, Alex, Alex Hilton, 
privacy enthusiast. I would say uh, a privacy guru. That's what I consider them. Uh, do you have a certain service that you provide that you would like to provide to our listeners? Well, I, I build software for people, but um, we are going to release out probably in the next month and a half, two months to, to the world. We're going to make a Gmail um, alternative uh, available that you can um, pay somebody like me probably $20, $25 a month to load it onto a server and you can get rid of Gmail from your life. And I'm telling you, that's really the biggest step to taking back your, your security and your privacy online. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people don't know that the email highway is not controlled by people. That thing, as long as you have a network and you have power and you can connect to a network, you can send email, right? So, don't worry if they shut down Telegram or one of those other honeypot, you know, chat messenger rooms, because that's what those places are. So be careful what you say in those secure places that are controlled by somebody else's server, right? It's not open source code. So nobody, you don't know what's verifiable. And research your stuff. And then when you're ready, come check out lawless.world and you can uh, start taking back your privacy. So that's the important part. I've, I've already um, had a dose of uh, lawless.world. And in my opinion, if you're looking for an alternative that has pretty much everything you need to communicate with, with one another and store documents, yep. lawless, lawless is that platform. It's easy to navigate. And if you that's have... Nextcloud. So I, I brought them up. That, that's actually our modified version of Nextcloud. And your users should actually go out and research Nextcloud, okay, and check out their software because that is a, a privacy enthusiast company as well too, and they are an open source company that you will love. And as Bobby said, and he'll tell you again, tell tell people how good the software is though, Bobby. It's beautiful. Well. Uh... Well, if anybody needs to get get a hold of Alex, um, they can they can go through me, or would you rather them get a hold of you personally? Is there some way to get a hold of you that's secure? No, they can reach out to you, and you can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, sounds good. Um, well, Alex, uh, thank you for your service, and I, I do I do say service in you know being you know having your boots on the ground and staying focused and motivated towards um, you know. Um, freeing humanity from the grips of I almost I almost called Google a, a bad word I try not to use my bad words over the air um, but um, you know you can you can free yourself from the constraints of, of from the chains of Google and Microsoft you can but it just takes someone who's already done the hundreds of thousands of hours of of research and and digging and you know information excavation and so Alex Actually, there's a simple way to get rid of them and I'll just tell people how to do it just turn off your Wi-Fi and the internet and go outside I love to hear that that's you a, don't, that's a you don't you don't need to rely on technology just and I think it's be smart and wise especially with the crackdowns that you start to learn to enjoy life without it and check it out i mean mycelium being the pretty much the internet of the planet you know connecting all living plants together um mycelium you know that that builds mm -hmm. fungus um you know you go out in the into nature and you touch a tree or get into to um connection with nature and have develop a relationship mm -hmm. don't you know don't think that it's not being um adventured and you know witnessed by these plants and all the the wildlife that exists out there because it is it is i mean that is the, the best internet is nature and thank you for that yeah it's a simple thing you could do at night you know make sure you turn off your wi-fi at night you'll actually sleep better so unplug it when you go to sleep and plug it back in when you wake up because that's actually putting um you know, beams through your body. I'm not, I'm, you know, it's not a, you know, not a joke. And 
test it yourself, turn it off and, you know, wake up and you'll feel better. That's very true. Alex Hilton, privacy enthusiast, privacy guru. Thank you. I'd like to have you back on the show as, uh, as things develop. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, we can pick each other's brains sometime here in the very near future. Alex, thank you so much for being on the call to actions. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk soon. Peace.